The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. This week we are joined by a guest all the way from Germany, Matthias Bellman. Matthias, how are you doing? Hey, I'm really nice. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. So for those of you who are maybe not familiar with Matthias, he is a member of the German WTC team. He's a phenomenal Warhammer player. From those that I've heard across the pond, they call him the Magnus Carlsen of Warhammer. And I myself played him <laughs> in the round eight of the WCW and my God, he kicked my ass. So I figured we're going to have to get this man on. And what I want to highlight today is not so much uh, about the army list he played and how, how it works. He's playing Eldar. We all know how that stuff works. But I want to talk about Matthias as a person, the sportsmanship, the play style, the whole energy and the vibe. Um, and playing this game at a very sporting level. We're going to talk about how even at the World Championships of Warhammer, the competition being what it was, the insanity... Of, of skill in that room, people were still playing like absolute gentlemen and gentle ladies. And it was a really, really amazing time and what that looks like in the German scene and how that all comes together. Matthias, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing very good. And it was a pleasure to play against you and all the other fantastic players on the WCW. Awesome. It was really nice. Yeah. We're going to definitely kind of unpack those games in part two of the show. This is, of course, part one of a two-part show. In part one today, we're going to cover Matthias. We're going to get to know him, his play style, how he became the Magnus Carlsen of Warhammer, killing everybody, kicking ass and taking names, and doing so with such utter professionalism and sportsmanship. Then we're going to talk in part two. That's going to be your subscribers on AOW40K.com. You can catch that. We're going to talk about how he actually played his games, models on the table, tactics used, and um, how he kicked so much butt. So, Matthias, why don't you tell us how you got into Warhammer? Uh, I guess it was um, in grade school with a friend. Uh, we were little kids and just uh, cruising around the city. And then uh, we saw a Warhammer uh, Games Workshop um, store. And then you go in and it's like all those fancy models uh, nicely painted. And you go, wow, wow. And uh, then you buy your first model and you start painting it. And it's just really cool. Actually, we just started um, getting some Raven Guard Marines and uh, Metal Kyven Shrike and painted them forever with like three colors. Then it started growing and growing, and we got more interested in the game as well. Very nice. So basically, you just kind of got into it as a kid, saw the models, got painting, and got better. Yeah. Very, very similar story to a lot of people. <laughs> you could say good marketing. <laughs> yeah, good marketing. So, how old were you when this happened? Uh, whew, a long time ago. I guess it was uh, 12, 12 years about something like this. Yeah. Um, so, how, how old does that put you? I don't know. I'm trying to poke at your age. I'm just trying to get a sense for how good you were at a time, you know? Ooh, um, when I started? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, God. I was uh, I was always interested in, like, strategy and um, min-maxing stuff. And I guess I was the annoying little kid uh, standing in the store asking questions about rules. Um, oh, I had such a feeling. <laughs> trying trying to maximize. Because I've, I always uh, love loved games, any kind of games. I think oh. I, I learned uh, mathematics by playing Monopoly. 
when my parents and my big I have two big sisters and when we played it was like I have to calculate how much rent I get and if I calculate it wrong they pay me less if I calculate too much I have to recalculate and, um, <laughs> very very precise <laughs> kind of an apple when I played as like yeah. a kid with my parents and family it was like you know the the money was a formality you know we were just throwing <laughs> apple together yeah, it was like I always loved playing games with my grandpa as well. Um, strategy games like um, chess or other stuff, um, card games, SCART. Um, I don't know what it's called in English. So I, I'm just really uh, in love with all kind of games, and nice. um, I love so immersing still, into something. Do you still play more games than Warhammer? Really competitively? Uh, not really. Sometime uh, I had my time when I played. Um, online games and but i'm i'm always the kind of guy i play just one game and that's it so i have like one video game or one offline game and that's it right and okay. everything else is just casual and i try not to get too much into it or uh, not to think too hard about it uh, to keep the fun alive and not get competitive because uh, otherwise people don't like playing with me anymore um well, I think yeah. that's kind of the <laughs> crux of the conversation, right? Because when we played, um, you were absolutely stomping me, and we'll get into the details of that game. But like yeah. your sportsmanship, the whole thing—you know—I enjoyed it. You know, I, I genuinely mm. had a great time playing you, despite an ass whooping. And I think a lot of players, when they're just getting beaten to the ground like that, um, you know, the opponent who's doing the beating—it's it's more of like a going through the motions kind of game. And, and while it may not have to be unsporting, usually it's not a game you remember as very fond. And I think that's really cool that you were able to create that experience for me as someone who's kicking my ass. And vice versa, you know, it's nice to be a good sport even when you're losing. I think there was just a lot of sportsmanship in general in the room at the WCW. But I think from what I can tell from you as a person, you carry it through to how you play games altogether. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is your mindset with sportsmanship? Um, actually, to be honest, I, when I play, I don't care if I win or lose. I want to have uh, the best game um, I can get, and I want to have interesting games. Um, if the game is like, if I if I see that you do some stupid stuff, I will give you the take back so we can have an interesting game. I don't I don't care about winning by some gotcha moments or like stupid stuff. So um, all I want is like strategy and having a nice game and having some fun and having the, the thrill of the game. Uh, so it goes down by one dice at the end. Um, and I think that's the, the important and fun stuff because um, after the game, uh, like an hour later or two hours later, um, the game will be forgotten. But uh, the emotions are still there or the memories about um, like the cool, uh, the cool interactions you had and the people and the, you meet. And I think this is, uh, for me, the, the most important stuff. Um, and the games will just stomp somebody. Else. Uh, it sounds yeah. like very wholesome when you say it like that. And I think a lot of players strive to play in that respect. I definitely try to myself, um, you know, enjoy the game for the game, meet the people along the way, and just enjoy the moment, have the best game you can. It's very yeah. easy for a lot of players, though, to get lost in it. And, uh, you know, especially as you get higher and higher at the competitive levels, and there's stakes, yeah. or at least perception of some stakes for um, doing well. It really pushes you to maybe not even be a cheater. We're not going that far, but it pushes you to potentially not be your best self, not be super sporting, not give take backs and things like that. That's above and beyond. 
Um, yeah. I think it's really admirable. Where do you draw those lines? How do you do it? I'm mirroring my opponent, I think. If you are an asshole, I can I can mirror being an asshole. If you're a nice guy, I can mirror being a nice guy. Um, so if you start reshuffling your models and doing takebacks um, and trying to cheat me, then I will say no, take it back. But if you ask me, can I do it? Or if you're in the charge phase, uh, or if you're in... If you ended your turn and then you're, oh no, I forgot my charge. And then I'm like, well, if I'm in my command phase and I will start buff, then you're, oh shit, I forgot my charge. And to do my objective, then I'm like, yeah, go ahead, do the charge, do the shooting. Um, I think in one game, um, on a final table, on a tournament, I had an opponent who wasn't clear about my rules. And he was in his shooting phase. It was almost done. And um, then he started shooting, and it was like, uh, you can't damage me because uh, your weapons have the wrong profile. And then I gave him an entire take back. Then he moved all his models back. And I said, okay, let's go back. Uh, do your entire turn again. And then we read his entire turn in the final table. And um, it was a really nice game. Otherwise, he would have lost turn one, and it would have been uh, really boring finals. That's a really, you know, taking back an entire turn is something that you hear about in uh, casual play, right? Or in practice, you know, because you want to get the, the play correct, uh, get the information out of it, or just have a good game with your opponent. In a tournament when there's a misunderstanding or a rules error or something, usually someone just gets the, the short end of the stick right there. You don't usually get the, the sporting level of, hey, let's just undo time, you know, take it back, we'll reset what we can, we know what we know, let's do it, do it that way. Um, it takes a kind of person to do that, right? Especially in a tournament setting. And you kind of come from that upbringing where you just play games and you enjoy the game for the gamesmanship about it. But where do you draw the line between what is, like, we can't just go back and fix that. That is a mistake you've made, um, like, tactically or, or a misunderstanding that is too far to, to reverse from versus, like, yeah, go back, fix that. Um, I think it's always about uh, the difference between uh, what is a technical mistake, where did you forget like drawing line of sights, where did you forget an angle or some screening, um, those are the mistakes you made. But if it's an obvious thing, uh, it's as, if it is really, really obvious and um, most of the time if you watch your opponent uh, move or measure, you already know what he's going to do. So you know, okay, his stand is he will go there, he will do this. And so on. Um, so if the intent is clearly uh, there, and uh, it would be stupid to not do something, then I would always give the take back or ask my opponent, like, right now I can see him, don't you want to turn his gun to the side? Um, and stuff like this. But um, if he's uh, low on time and uh, forgets screening, uh, then I wouldn't give the take back, of course. Right. So there's a lot of um, factors that go into it. It's kind of a case-by-case -case situation. Do you find that this is something that is unique to you, especially in the German scene where you play? Or is this kind of very commonplace within the German competitive scene that players are just giving take-backs and playing a very friendly above-board game? I think we have, um, in Germany, we have a really, um, we have a lot of communication. So... Usually, before you move a model, uh, you will pre-measure, and then you will say, okay, I'm, let's say, 17 inches apart, and if I move 8 inches, my charge will be number X. Um, so, usually, whenever you move a unit, um, you will always check line of sight, and you will always um, 
do it with your opponent together. And it's um, a lot of communication on the table. So um, you will always know the number of charges or uh, the the value you need or the line of sides. It's like, okay, I'm, I can move up to 14 inches. I'll move over here so I can see this unit and be hidden from this angle. And you will uh, do it with your opponent um, and say it, and he will check if it's uh, physically possible. And he will agree or not, or disagree, or double-check it, and then you start moving. It's like, maybe the play style over here is um, very much by intent. Yeah, I've noticed that myself when I played with the Germans uh, at WTC, or this word WCW, I played uh, not just yourself, but also um, Grisha from the WTC team. And he was equally mm -hmm. a sporting, you know, just amazing player uh, above the table, on the table, just nothing but great praise. And I, one thing I've noticed about the German culture when Warhammer is exactly that, right? You're very communicative. Everything was above board, intent-based. Every angle was pre-measured. So, you know, when we drop tape measures on models and they go flying three inches to the right and fall over, we know where they were. But beyond that, it's also super precise. Like, I'll use an example. When you're playing in a tournament or any game, really, and you're driving your tank around a ruined wall... Very few people measure this correctly. It's like a very technically yeah. challenging measurement. Um, a lot of people just shorthand it, wheel around the building, give themselves like an extra four inches of movement. And you guys were just so precise, down to the millimeters with this. Is that just German culture? Uh, yes, I think so. Because um, if, you, if you're playing on a top table in Germany and you start moving your tank uh, kind of sloppy, uh, no one will say, also, so everyone will just stop you. They are like, what What are you doing there? Come on, measure it correctly and uh, don't just take your tank and throw it around uh, because movement is so important. And um, some people play armies uh, where they have a movement characteristic of five. And if they move one inch extra, it's like 20% already. So if he wants to move an extra inch, then I will take my swooping hawks and move an extra 20% as well. So it's like, do you want to play like this? It's That's uh, a really fun way yeah. to look at it, right? Like one extra inch doesn't sound like much, but when you're moving, you know, in, in a game of inches, that is that is life and death yeah. sometimes. It's like if you're um, a lot of times uh, you can win or lose games by moving sloppy, like disembarking models and then just moving them to the front. And um, two turns later, um, you need a seven for the charge instead of an eight. And uh, it goes up um, very high. Do you find it challenging logistically to constantly have to correct people on moving their models correctly? Or is it something that everyone just kind of does? Um, I think everyone does it because um, I myself do it as well. Um, I think if you're, you're standing like some distance away from each other and both look uh, from a distance, uh, from a different angle at the measurement. Um, so it's uh, just natural that you will move uh, your models too far or not far enough. So um, the best way is always to just use some uh, measure tapes that are on the floor, uh, like some sticks, so you can get the right amount of angles or distances. Yeah, those game aids. We actually sell those on our Art of War logo-branded Muson Minis game aids, so you get measuring tools. But um, more to the point here, Matthias, mm -hmm. When you came to America, this is your first time in America. Hope you had a good time. Um, yes. When you came and played the WCW, 
what was your expectation for the level of competition and the sportsmanship and all that stuff? Mm, I really like to have um, high competition. Um, and usually if you're going to a tournament, um, then you have like two, three, four games uh, where you just uh, stomp your opponent and then the real game start. And the fact I love about this game well, the setting is uh, that you have no filler games. So everyone is there for a reason, and you only have good opponents, and every game is awesome. So you only have high-value games, and it's uh, just just great. I, I love those games. That's awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of players had that expectation going in of just having really awesome games, and it was fully met. You know, every single person there was there because they were great at Warhammer at some point, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, at the actual event... This is such a petri dish of different Warhammer culture, right? You're bringing your German precision and sportsmanship into there. America's all over the place. Then we've got people from Thailand and China and you know, areas we've never even really expected to see Warhammers from. And, yeah. you know, that can be such a mishmash of cultural clash as well as personality clash and whether you play the game etiquette clash. Did you experience any of that? Was everyone kind of on the same page as you? I think I played uh, three guys from Texas in a row, and then I played uh, Richard and Dudes. <laughs> so I I, I kind of uh, played uh, mostly Texas guys <laughs> and one guy from Italy. Yeah, but but I played uh, the WTC um, a couple of years as well. So I'm kind of used to different cultures and people, and I'm always looking forward to it and uh, really enjoy it, like meeting new people or talking about uh, how the community is in their country. And I always love it. Was it challenging at all, like actually playing the game of Warhammer with someone from a different country? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's just always nice. That's good. I think we all kind of bonded over the fact that we loved Warhammer that weekend, and that was really, really cool. Yeah. And so in terms of the competition and the list you brought, Matthias, could you just walk us through the army list you played at the event? Um, yeah, sure. Let me open the list. I brought an Elder list, and this Elder list, I played it at a big major tournament in Germany. The two weekends before, and it was mainly um, focused around beating Chaos Space Marines, Orcs, and the Mirror Match. Um, so I, ah, I no longer have this here. <laughs> so I brought um, the typical Outhive Bay Leaper, um, Incarn, Fugen, uh, Spirit Seer with the Messenger, um, three Night Spinner, Swooping Hawks, um, two. Warwalkers with Bright Lances, Race Guard, and Fire Dragons, and I think, and Rangers. And I think the biggest difference to normal Elder lists is um, that I have like the Fire Dragons and Warwalkers plus the Infiltration block um, on the Rangers. So I can, um, I think the uh, normal Elder lists were kind of only focused around the Wraith Guard and indirect shooting. And the income. Um, so you didn't need to have any respect of the direct shooting or long range shooting anymore and could just uh, openly deploy and run into the elder and push them. And I tried to um, play around this. 
So it sounds like a, it looks like a typical Eldar army from the non-Eldar perspective. And then mm-hmm. when you get into the details, you've teched it a little more for CSM. I specifically experienced this as your Warwalkers and Fire Dragons <laughs> blowing me up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was very nice. Um, it's no secret in the room for anybody that Eldar is a fantastic army in Warhammer right now. And that the World Championships, you know, bring your A game, don't bring your B game. So I totally respect the decision to play some Eldar. Is this a faction you normally play, or is this a uh, last-minute switch for Worlds? Uh, no, it's actually it's my main faction. I've been playing it for oh, basically since I'm playing tournaments. I started. Uh, I think I've been playing the Elder for about seven years in the WTC as well. Um, so I'm the German Elder guy. You're the German Elder guy. I've been around the block with the Elves. Yeah, I'm I'm always playing Elder. From so this was kind of like a right place, right time situation where your army that you love and play on your own it happens to be one of the strongest armies in the game. So you know why not take it? Yeah, exactly. And then in respect to everyone in the room is teching for Eldar, right? Like it's you are public enemy number one. And mm-hmm. with that in mind, how did you go about list building? I'm, I'm sure there's lots of thoughts and theories that go into. Incar and Ravatar, or this or that or whatever, um, you know. When, especially when you're thinking of the mirror match and the Eldar mirror match, is so many weird nuances about it. What's your thought process with that list design? Um, actually, I'm pretty confident in my game style and the Elder style, and I think um, at this time Elder was uh, together with Chaos Space Marines, um, pretty much the strongest army. And um, my opinion is sometimes even if you see the punch and you can't dodge it, it doesn't matter if you see it or not. It's like uh, you can see it, you can prepare for it, but it will still hit you in the face. So um, I just bring brute force and I outvalue my opponent. And on high-level games, um, every every ounce of uh, like power is important. So if you bring pure value and you make no mistakes, um, then you should win by default. So um, this is just some brute force and um, brute force gaming where you expect to do no mistakes. And if you, you say, if, okay, if I do one mistake, I will lose the game. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very tight technical gameplay. And you could, that was super experienced in our game. You know, um, the precision level and technical minutia between us was really high. And I could see how you leverage that ability to play so technically correct Um to outplay people, uh, even at that caliber, you know, all through the event. So leaning into that player skill with your Eldar is innately mm. its own advantage. Uh, I want to talk about how you got there, though. Like, what would you describe your play style even as, like, as a person? Um, actually, I'm playing. I'm trying to get the the best army I can get uh, for myself. So I always build lists myself, and usually I, I don't even look at lists online. So it's uh, always kind of funny when. I'm doing it myself in my dark room, and then I get out of the list, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm really happy. And then I see, okay, someone played uh, something similar similar to the list. Uh, so it's really nice to see that uh, in the end you get um, almost the same list um, because other people think it's the best list as well. And I would say I'm playing very um, kind of controlled aggression, uh, very strategic, a little bit like a surgeon. I'm just... Uh, there with my knife and just uh, take you down step by step um, where you can just watch 
how you lose and you you're getting overwhelmed and uh, you can see that you will lose but uh, there's nothing you can do anymore the way you, you can just watch the game. is exactly how i felt when i was playing with dice i was like you know I'm, I can't, I'm making the moves i can make it does not matter you know he's just got me that's how i felt yeah it's um and i tried to uh not even give any chance of a comeback so i'm usually i'm not taking a risk if it's a two-up roll i will not take it like why would i take uh, like uh 80 or 90 percent, even a 98 percent chance i wouldn't take it i will take the i will try to take the 100 percent game and don't give any openings for shit to happen if it's possible so Eldar is one of the factions that can do that better than most, whether it's abilities, fate dice to pre-roll everything, and you know what you're going to get. But Warhammer is still a dice game. There's just no very few <laughs> plans outside of, I'm going to move six inches that way that are 100% certain. So with that in mind, how do you actually leverage to such a mechanically amazing degree um, like 100% certainty, as you put it. Like There was not much or anything that I could really do in our game is how I felt. And um, we'll get into the details of, of that match along with all the others, but how do you do that to people? Uh, usually I try to get the best possible play. Um, I can do within the a lot of time. So the time management is always uh, important as well. Most of my games uh, end with like one to three minutes on the clock because um, I use the time as resource. And when I play, usually before I move a single model, I'm already clear which model will stand where at the end of my movement phase and who is going to shoot which model in which sequencing. And um, you can kind of try to go with uh, some math uh, who is good against which target and then you have like plan a plan b plan c plan d so you can just go like a binary uh did i kill it yes no then next unit and so on so you kind of uh, you're webbing a net where everyone or you get uh, like one unit to shoot the opponent the high threat targets and you have backup units who can shoot the target as well and then can shoot target number two and so on. So um, you will build up your sequencing, which are the threats, um, how it will kind of influence uh, the state of the game and the dynamics, uh, what are the most important enemy units, um, when are you going to trade, or push, or kill, or play for points, go defensive, go offensive, um, when are you investing your resources and what are good trades and um, then you just go by sequencing uh, kind of mechanical you are thinking about the entire game plan and what the opponent could do um, like if I kill a rhino where can he disembark what is the distance what is the threat ranges um, and then you move in a way that even if he disembarks the furthest um, he will not get either out of line of sight or out of vision uh, out of range and so on and you can just go by, like, make your plan and then go start at the top and then go mechanically to the bottom. While playing against best. you, I think you really executed this kind of plan pretty flawlessly, at least that I could tell. And one thing that struck out to me as an area that you executed better than me, because we both more or less knew where to put our units, where to put our models, but you were so to the individual model. Like, I'll give an example again. When people move their units, 
they just move their unit generally six, seven inches that way or 10 inches that way. And they measure the first model very carefully. And depending on how intricate it is, they'll measure the next two or three models very carefully. And if there's a special weapon, they'll measure that model very carefully. And then the, less, the rest of the unit kind of just goes and follows in the general vicinity behind. And that's super common. It's a nice way to not spend 10 minutes moving a unit. And there's not much micro value to be gained in terms of positioning each model super carefully. In our game, I felt as though you were literally paying attention to every single individual miniature on the table, its position, what it can do, where it is in case the Incarn dies, you know, that kind of stuff. And simply put, I was not. I was moving much more the way I just described, where the close models battered than the ones right behind really didn't. And that little intricate difference, I felt cascaded through our entire game. And, you know, dice and pre-measuring and board and space and all that were preset conditions that sucked. But that's where I felt like you outplayed me, general to general. And I think most players, even at the super top level, don't think of every individual fire dragon as its own little piece. It's a unit of fire dragons. So what is that granular level of detail to you? How do you identify value there? Um, yeah, I, I think the movement phase is maybe the most important phase. And uh, you have to think about every every model, every angle, um, even pointing your guns. Actually, to be honest, when I even when I build my models, um, while building and gluing the model, I think already start thinking about um, the angles, about a cone that I will try to put them on a base so they are cone, or I have my guns sticking out. And even when you put up down your models, it's like okay, you have one ranger who has another sniper gun, so he needs to be on the back line. And um, if you don't do it um, for every single model, then there will be the point in the game where you have four shots instead of five shots because one ranger is standing because the ranger with the long gun is standing in the first row instead of the second row, and uh, this one shot can be enough to not kill a character. And, and, for example, if it's a dark commune, then um, instead of getting rid of the five up in one save, uh, you might get uh, wrecked by the cursed cultist. So you have a very, very um, high snowball effect. And dice is always um, a matter. Also, dice are always important. Um, but um, you can try to use uh, reduce the impact of the dice as much as possible and just uh, try to go for the like perfect turn. Um, to get an advantage against other really good players because um, one or two shots uh, can decide the game in the end if the opponent has cover or if uh, one good model is um, turning his gun to the wrong side so he cannot overwatch in the next movement phase of the opponent. So uh, it's really important to not only think about what you can do but also about what the opponent will do and um, what your models will do in like one or two turns or in the opponent turn or in the next phases. And it so. sounds like there's so many different decision trees you think about when you play Warhammer. And yeah. most people, you know, they simplify it down. That's something we even teach at Art of War is like, don't try to think about every single possible thing to overwhelm <laughs> yourself. Um, yeah. Maybe this is why they call you the Magnus Carlson, right? Um, the... I, I don't disagree with your point in theory, right? Like, put the ranger gun in the far back spot so it can get better line of sight in the future and take away cover, shoot the dark commune guy. All that makes sense, but in terms of all the different things you have to check, you know, my army's doing stuff, threat ranges, deep strike screening, this, that, whatever, time, if it's a timed environment, chess clocks. Um, I know you said you can manage your clock 
all the way down to finishing games with one, two, or three minutes left, something like that, using time as a resource, just like using your your mental capacity. How yeah. do you allocate time between a strategic level, macro plan picture, I want to do this as my strategy, should I push this turn, should I not push this turn, versus the tactical minutia, and then how much of that is muscle memory? Um, I think it's uh, like in sports or everything you practice, it's a lot of muscle memory and it's if you if you learn something just um i try to do it very slow and do it step by step and think about it for example if i have a practice game i like to think uh i would like to do like take one hour for a turn because um it's just practice game and we can do just one or two turns that's fine um so if i think about a problem once and i can solve it then I will always have the answer in me. And um, like most of the stuff uh, you will do by intuition without thinking. So I try to um, outsource everything I can to do it before the game because um, every decision and every thought um, takes energy. So I try to get uh, all I can, all I can do um, before the game, I will do before the game. Um, so I have all my capacity and um, all my energy in the game itself and won't lose any time there. How often do you practice Warhammer and what is your practice like? Sadly, I don't have um, so much time or training partners. In the recent time, I started getting some more training partners, but uh, usually I'm playing only the major tournaments in Germany and I get like one or two games between the tournaments so most of the stuff is uh, theory in my head and then i go to a tournament and um get some input there i'm all for doing a lot of theory hammer especially if you're strapped for time real life calls but theory hammer is not the place to develop muscle memory you know theory hammer is theory hammer how do you yeah. have such tactical precision on the tabletop as if you've been there before if you're living in theory hammer um Probably because I've been playing Warhammer for 18, 19 years now. And I, I really get that. <laughs> if you, I've been playing tournaments a lot. And um, I think even in training games, um, I don't, I don't uh, make a difference if it's um, a training game or if I'm teaching my girlfriend how to play Warhammer uh, or if I'm at the final table at the WGC. So, uh, Does your girlfriend play Warhammer? Uh, yeah, we played a couple of games and we had 50-50% win rate right now. Wait, yeah. she he beats you 50% of the time at Warhammer 40,000? <laughs> we had some draws and uh, she won and uh, I won some games. What uh, is happening what? right now? Put her on the podcast. What are we talking about? <laughs> Uh, Who is this mythical is, Matthias' girlfriend, Mrs. Bell? Uh, I don't. I don't give her any hints. Uh, when what? we play, I, say, I, I give her models. I say, "Do you want this model or this model? Uh, make your army list. Uh, what do you like? The one who can shoot or the one who can fly faster?" But she doesn't know uh, how to write army lists. She doesn't know what the units do. She just plays Warhammer with you intuitively. Uh, yeah, that's right. I gave her. I, Edda she's all the, the time. Magnus Carlson of Warhammer. <laughs> Am I hearing this right? I mean, what? I'm, I'm always playing other stuff. She's always playing Elder only, and I played like uh, World Eater, Astra Militarum, um, Harlequins, um, Space Marines against her, uh, Custodes as well. I played a maxed out Custodes list, just charged all my stuff in, and uh, it still was a draw at the end. 
So you're kind of using her as a practice partner where she plays your Eldar army and then <laughs> you, you just run stuff at her mindlessly to see how it goes. <laughs> it's not like I've, uh, I'm giving her any hints. Uh, and she's standing there frustrated like, mm, it's uh, I can't see anything, I can't move anything. It makes no sense to shoot. Uh, I'm frustrated. It feels stupid. And then after she passes the turn, I say, yeah, uh, it was a good decision to not move because uh, otherwise I would have charged you. And now this is a threat. And it was good not to do it. But I, it's just learning by pain. You I don't give any hints. Stop you, whatever you're doing with your life and do a Warhammer couple's career right now. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <It's> later. A, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm a little speechless. <laughs> that, was, that was not what I expected as an answer. That's amazing. Is she equally as sporting and awesome? Uh, she hates losing. <laughs> she hates losing. <laughs> what an answer. Oh my god. Okay, I think we need to wrap it up here before I have a literal aneurysm. But Matthias, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure talking to you. I'm very excited to talk about part two of the show on AOW40K.com. Um, we're going to discuss the actual games you played at Worlds and maybe yeah, the training so. your girlfriend gave you on the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of go step by step, detail by detail. How did you destroy all of these people? I believe you finished with a six and two record, uh, doing super well in the four and one pod, which was Murderer's Row. And uh, you played myself and Richard Siegler. So that's a pretty impressive showing on its own. Uh, yeah, it was uh, really nice games. Awesome. So we're going to break those games down for you on AOW40K.com. Listeners, hope you enjoyed this uh, sportsmanship-style episode on the podcast, getting to know Matthias Bellman in the German scene a little bit, and uh, dropping bombs of knowledge about his girlfriend, gotta say. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs> like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com